0: The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can access old archive shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button good morning gentlemen good to see you all in your little square
2: <laughs> good morning good, good morning guys so you?
1: you know i'm doing well how are you guys making out in week number 48 47 i think it is <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i gotta say the winter's not as easy as the summer but it's still been pretty good to be honest you know like we got out skating yeah i saw a lot on coots paradise uh, last weekend
1: yeah, that's fabulous, and uh, yeah, we've taken up cross-country skiing again. So there you oh, nice. go.
2: Total Canadiana right now. Exactly. That's the thing I, I missed the most. Actually, is not being able to uh, get out on the, the
3: downhill ski slopes. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, maybe uh, in the next week we'll, or next in the next week or two, we'll be able to do that. So that yeah.
1: would be great. I hear you there. All right. Uh, there's news that came across this week, and uh, boy, it seems you have to have uh, the hats that you two wear in order to even figure out how this all worked or how it became a story or grew to the stage that it did, and that is the whole GameStop story. So can you explain in, in layman's terms what the heck happened here and uh, why this is so unusual and precedent-setting?
2: Well, this whole uh, start, this whole thing started with a, an, an app called Reddit, and basically this forum where people from all over get together, and it and, and definitely adheres to the younger crowd, and they basically were... Telling everybody to buy the stock, GameStop, which is a just sells video games—not um, even online—it's physical ge- uh, video games. They actually were losing money, and anyway, it, it was kind of like the blockbuster of, of videos, you know, in terms of gaming. <laughs> you think of totally. the concept. Yeah, I'm actually waiting for Blockbuster to start up again <laughs> after this. <laughs> but
1: I have some videos I need to return. By the way, when well, they well, do.
2: Well, Imagine what that bill will be. The wonder <laughs> be it was kind of funny. I did have somebody else mention about blockbusters, and I didn't know. Apparently, there's the odd ones still around. They're probably just private-labeled, though. But anyway, so, there, so everybody started buying. Now, the reason they were buying this is because of these big, bad hedge funds. Now, what a hedge fund can do, and not all hedge funds. There are so many different types. but one strategy a hedge fund can do is to sell short. And this is where it gets confusing. I I found it very difficult to understand. I remember back in university, I said...
1: Can I I ask a question right away?
2: Sure. Define
1: the term sell short. What does short selling mean?
2: And this is exactly what I'm I'm going to get to right now, because it's confusing. It is... Honestly, I'm, I'm at university. They're trying to explain this to me when my securities course... I remember going, like, am I the only one that doesn't understand this? And I'm in commerce fourth year... And I couldn't quite figure out how can you sell something you don't have. And so really what this definition of short selling is you're borrowing the company's shares, then you sell them. So and then you hope to buy them back when the price drops, and then you return what you, you took for you borrowed from the, the company and you give back the shares and you profit the difference. Now I'm gonna give you a better example. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's already complicated, right? I, I, even <laughs> when I said it, I couldn't understand it, okay? You must, I, you, must have seen
1: it. My, you must have seen my face in the little Zoom box. It's just, uh, I look like a deer in the headlights of a car.
2: <laughs> so I'm going to give this in a different perspective, Scott. You, you're, you like to cycle, and you haven't done it for years. Your tires are flat, and a pandemic hits. And you realize, I need a new bike. You go to the bike store. They have no bikes. Everybody's bought bikes. So what you do is you go to your neighbor and you ask, you know, he's got an extra bike. And you borrow his bike. And you say, you know what, I'm going to borrow this and I'll return it later. And what you do instead, though, you think, you know, there's such a demand for bikes right now, I'm going to sell his bike. So I'm going to sell his bike right now. And later on, because the prices are going to go down on bikes because they're just everybody wants bikes right now. And when the price goes back down from in normal terms, I'm going to sell his bike. So he sells it for $1,000. So he pockets this $1,000. The difference is he still has to return this bike. You still have to return the bike to your neighbor. And he asks for the bike back in, say, a year from now. You, you then buy a bike for $500. And so you basically made $500 in that case. You sold it for 1000 It wasn't even your bike. <laughs> okay.
1: Don, uh, that is the absolute best explanation I have heard. And I'm not sure whether it used, uh, because you use bikes or not, but na- now that makes perfect sense to me. And uh, I have another question. Andy, doesn't Don have like a whole pile of bikes in his garage?
3: <laughs> I know we can, there's a, there's a parlay opportunity here. We can arbitrage
1: exactly.
2: a, a
3: short sale on something he's got there. That's it. <laughs> I,
2: I think my bike shop may be coming down the road to, uh, Pick up some bikes of, that I have in my garage, but uh, and so basically, you're selling something you don't even own, and that's where this whole short selling gets complicated. But in this case here, I, the example I gave you is you you sold it for a thousand. It was your neighbor's bike. He wants it back, so then you go back a year later and you buy back one for five hundred bucks, and you literally made five hundred bucks doing that. But let's say you did what GameStop did. You you uh, you sat there and you had a thousand dollars and you sold it immediately for a thousand but knowing you're gonna buy it back down. Now this GameStop's not making money. So you're thinking this stock's gonna drop. And it may not even it may drop to like a dollar a share. Well instead it actually goes up and now you have to turn around and you have to buy back a bike for a hundred and sixty one thousand dollars. A hundred and sixty one thousand dollars. It went up a hundred and sixty one times. So Here you're thinking you're going to make some money. In fact, you actually end up losing $160,000 on that bike. And so the reason I I use this example is GameStop, in the last 52 weeks, the lowest the price has been was $2.57. And the highest was just last week at $483. It went up 161 times. And so what happens on when you short sell there is no limit. You can lose forever, and it's no different if you buy something right now. And you bought, oh no, give me an example. Say Apple stock twenty years ago, and you bought it for say a buck a share. Well, now it's whatever it's at now, one hundred fifty-five bucks a share. Well, there's no limit. You're just making money. Well, that's not a problem because you put your money into it, and you can only you're only risking what you put into it. You can only lose what you invested. But but when you're selling short there's no limit how much you can lose the limit it's unlimited and that's why this case you, these people lost so many so many dollars billions of dollars and it's very complicated for pretty much anybody that's not in this business and even the ones that are in this business it's still hard to wrap your head around this.
1: so let me jump in here with my layman's uh... laypersons uh... uh example so instead of buying something and hoping it goes up you're buying something hoping it goes down, and you're then able... to
2: something, hoping it goes down, right. and you have to buy it back. And then
1: buying it back at a lower price as opposed to it going up. Yes. Okay.
2: You're doing the exact opposite, and then you have to return it back to the right. neighbor in the case of the bike.
1: Right. And, if in, and in this case, you're obviously going to lose as opposed to gain if you're the hedge fund.
2: Right. Now, what makes it a little bit trickier is as you're losing money, they're, they're saying, okay, we need to have some collateral for this you've lost a lot of money here because you're borrowing the shares from a broker, they want to have collateral. And as you're losing more and more money, they want more and more collateral. And that's what they call a short squeeze. So as you keep losing more and more money, they want more collateral. And eventually you have to say, I can't do this any longer. And you just have to buy it back at that more expensive price and get rid of it all. And that's what some of these hedge funds had to do. They had to buy it back in this case, at $483, it, so they, sold, they bought it back at that, and they, and they, they may have sold it originally um, earlier. So the original sell was at like $3, and they had to buy it back at $483. Wow. Um, talk about losing money. And so that, and I know if you look at this uh, from most of the, you know, the best investors in the world, they hate short selling. They just don't like it all. Warren Buffett. Says he's never shorted a stock. The risks are unbearable. Another uh, value investor said he did it once. He he saw this company it had no value, thought it would go down. There was a takeover, and the and it and it quadrupled, and he lost sleep. And this is why shorting is not only bad for your wealth; it's bad for your health. The stress of short selling is is insane. You literally can lose. Not only what you invested, but everything you own. You can go bankrupt.
1: So in this situation with GameStop, how much of this was froth, as you call it, it it was generated through social media. So it was less about the company, less about assets or what their potential is. And, And this was just something that spread like wildfire through social media. And that's what set all this off. Talk about the social media factor in this.
2: And that's an that's interesting point, Scott. It, th- this had no real value. The, there was no new news that all of a sudden people were coming out of a pandemic, showing up at GameStop stores and, and buying games. In fact, that wasn't happening at all. This made no sense. And it's kind of funny. I, I, I saw Saturday Night Live did a little skit on GameStop even, and it just literally makes no sense because the value of the company didn't, didn't change at all. And so they also went on to a couple other companies, AMC. They went on to BlackBerry. Now, BlackBerry's got a little bit more going for it, but it was interesting. The f- chief financial officer sold all his shares when it went up. He knew that it didn't have that value. Another um, predominant person in the company sold about 40% of their shares or something like that. So when you see the insiders doing that, you know that it doesn't have that kind of value.
1: So are we liable, what will we learn from this? Will this change regulation in some way? Because obviously you can see if this stuff starts happening how, how much of a threat it could be to, to any economic system. Are we going to see changes or regulations to any of this?
2: You might see a little bit in the hedge funds, but it's actually interesting. This only hurts the short sellers. So if you turn it the other way, how often has the short sellers hurt companies? It's funny, to my, I actually said to my wife, I said, you know, it's about time they got a bit of their due. Because they've been doing this for companies for years, companies that are on the verge of doing, you know, pretty good. And all of a sudden they'd be short selling and driving the price down. So finally they're getting a little taste of their own medicine and they, risk is risk, as Warren Buffett always says. And now they're losing money.
1: Will this change the way short sellers or these hedge fund operators operate moving forward?
2: It very well could. And what they do, they, there's uh, things called um, call-and-put options that they can have on a short sell, and just to make it more complicated so that you can only lose so much. And when they have unlimited loss, that's called a naked short sell. And when they, when they do that, there's no limit on how much you can lose. You can also make a fortune. However, when you add some insurance to it, you limit the loss, and they might maybe regulations going forward may do that. Or they'll say, you know what? The markets are the markets. You know the risks, um, but when you're when you're an investor investing in a hedge fund, you're often not that savvy in knowing about all the risks.
1: That's my next question, and I'll, we're out of time here. I'll ask you the next break. But the next question would be: uh, Are there some innocent, naive people who are on social media and are more into that than finance going to get caught up in this and lose a lot? Hold that thought. We'll ask that question when we return. We're planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified. The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you as soon as they can at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener and Button, uh, gentlemen, we were talking about uh, GameStop and that whole scenario and short selling and hedge funds. Uh, and such and and I think the question I posed before we before we left for break there was you, you know if, if you're savvy like you guys are and you know a bit about the market uh, you're gonna recognize things like when a CEO starts cashing in and such but are you, are you concerned that these are just they're less financially minded and more socially media minded and just get caught up in something and and end up losing the farm here are you concerned about social media people jumping on this as opposed to those that that may have the experience or background to do it
2: well to be totally frank I'm not too worried about the people that were doing the buying and running the shares up because most of those are very very small investors Um, I was reading a little bit about the Robin Hood investor and most of them were under the age of 25 and so they were literally buying one two three shares of GameStop hoping that they could double their money and if and you know they only had you know generally less than a thousand dollars at risk, but you multiply that investor times a hundred million of them, and they literally moved the needle on this stock, which was really a story of David versus Goliath and Goliath being the hedge funds, the hedge funds have lots of money, billions of dollars, and they are betting that this company's going to go down.
1: You so, were talking about uh the majority of the people involved were younger. Let me ask you this. You guys have both talked about how it's smart to get into this at a young age. What has this story done for getting younger generations interested in the market and the sort of things you guys do every day?
2: Well, that's a, there's a big difference from what Andy and I do and what this whole GameStop story is. I
1: didn't mean to make that comparison, but just getting, yeah. them, just getting them interested in, in even watching or learning what this is all about.
2: You Remember the GameStop ticker way back or some of the board games, and you used to have gold and silver, and, and talking about silver, they, they did the run-up on silver in the past week too. So these are just speculators, and there's a big difference from speculating on what direction a certain stock will go or not go or if it will go down and, uh, and, and investing long-term. And what Andy and I always preach, and as any listener of the show, is long-term diversified investing And looking at the big picture and really looking at financial planning and investing being part of the overall financial plan. And so when you look at this situation, this is one thing that I actually I think is great. It really did kind of make sure that there is risks in selling short. And these hedge funds may have to be a little bit more careful in the future and not just literally try to take a company down, which a lot of them were accused of doing in the past. So it was almost a rebellion against these short sellers. And I didn't really feel too sorry for those hedge funds. I did feel a little sorry for the investors in some of these hedge funds because you know, the hedge fund's kind of faceless, but you get some of these retired people that say, oh, I've got an extra 100,000, I'm gonna put it in this hedge fund, and you're supposed to be an accredited investor. I would suggest that most of the people investing in these hedge funds don't really understand all the risks in the hedge fund. And so this is where you need a proper financial planner to go over the pros and cons of an investment, such as a hedge fund, which we don't even offer, as as maybe part of your solution. And if it is part of your solution, it wouldn't be greater than five percent of your overall allocation. Yeah, but, uh, good, good good point, Don. Yeah. So that being said, I know like we're we're saying okay, here's the investment side. As, as Andy and I talk about every week, is the investment side. And there's a whole lot of our clients that uh, I've been very moved around a lot over their life and they may have even gone to the States for a bit and they had they accumulated a US pension plan. I don't know Andy's yeah. got a little bit on that.
3: Perfect. Thank you for that segue, Don.
2: Actually
3: I just wanna piggy I just want to jump in on this GameStop thing for a minute here. you know, I I guess my my fear and the risk in all this and it's a little bit frustrating because I think in some ways it sends a message that i mean the stock market for many people is a mystery to begin with and so all they're hearing now is this is a way for the little guy to double his money and or and it's that simple it can happen in a week it can happen you know and with the right you know set of circumstances i can double my money and it sounds easy and uh so and the truth is is as you said don it's really is just simply speculation and if. If you've got a small amount of your budget or your financial plan that you can allocate towards speculative investing, so let's say it's you know two percent of your portfolio, five five percent of your portfolio would be a, 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 a threshold, but maybe you can get involved in something. But with this, but the, the problem is too is that of course you always hear the good stories. So you have one friend, you know your twenty three year old buddy who was able to uh, make two good decisions. Decision number one jumping in at the start somewhere near when it was still low and decision number two, without taking, with taking all the emotions out, you know, fear and greed, you were able to pull the trigger and sell it. And maybe you doubled your money or more. And so, you know, did you make $500? Did you make $5,000? Did you make $50,000? But that story gets out, right? And then everybody thinks there's got to be an easy way to do this. So instead of what my fear is that instead of committing to a long-term investment plan where you're saving on a regular basis is that you're just randomly taking lump sums and throwing it into something speculative in hope of catching up all the time. And so uh, more often than not, it just doesn't pay off in the long run. Uh, But beware, you always hear the good stories. You don't always hear about the the, the majority of people that didn't make any money and just simply lost it. So back to the plan. It's the solid way to go. It's boring as hell, but it is (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing. There's there's oh, no. It's not, not sexy. Gonna, you're not going to show up on CNN with a, with a front front top of the line story. Just being a regular financial following uh, your financial plan and, and, and looking after your goals systematically
2: and steadily day and year after year. And, and you remember the the um, tech boom back in the late '90s, Andy? How it was like so exciting. Everybody was talking about the next dot, dot com. That's what this kind of reminded me, except even on steroids, even more because you would buy a stock and if it didn't go up 10% that month, it was like oh you're not you don't have a good one. And investing 10% a year is considered quite good. So you have to keep keep thinking what's a good rate of return over a per year not on a per day or per weekend kind of basis that GameStop and other of these have been talking about. Well, you know what? I just, I know I'm going to talk to you about uh, holding U.S. <laughs> pension plans, etc. cetera, but um,
3: I do have to share one. So talking about good stories, right? So I had a BlackBerry story from, from a client who had, uh, in, in speculating, uh, a year ago had purchased BlackBerry. Not a, I think it was, uh, you know, like 400 shares, uh, and they paid around, you know, 10 bucks a share. Well, they always sort of thought in their head from a speculative standpoint that if the shares doubled to 20, that they would sell them and so uh as the froth sort of started building up with blackberry in the last couple of weeks uh into um i think last week uh he said you know i, I made the decision i was going to sell uh i was going to it had gone over 20 bucks and i was going to sell it and when i woke up on monday uh and it was at 24 dollars in the morning instead of 20 dollars in the morning i i, I thought oh I can get twenty four. So his original plan was he was gonna double it. Uh if it and sell it at twenty. But now greed had set in and it was at twenty four. So he had an extra sixteen hundred bucks on the table now that he could make if he could sell it at twenty four. So he puts an order in at twenty four. Well it probably went right down the back and it never got to twenty four all that day. So his greed <laughs> had had him in the wrong direction and he, and so the day went by and the next day he thought, oh i should have just sold it at 20 like my original plan well fortunately so the next day it actually went back up to 24 and he was able to sell it at 24 but subsequently then it's dropped by half so you know what it, it is such an emotional thing but it's also so tricky to be able to pull the trigger at the right time, at the
2: other end of the story. So
3: <laughs> I, I often anyway. tell
2: people, buying is a lot easier than selling because you have two different emotions, and that greed emotion is very difficult. To, you can't tame that greed emotion; it's a tough one.
3: Anyway, so they made money on BlackBerry stock. So they good for go them. One of the few that recently have done that. <laughs> So uh, hopefully they'll reinvest it back into something Canadian. But um, you know, so I I have a client who uh, works here in Canada. And uh, he's getting ready for his own retirement, and he um, uh, works for a U.S. winery. So he's actually a nice guy to know because he, ha- he managed to bring up some pretty fine wines here in- from California into Ontario. <laughs> so, but he, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, and we run across, Donald and I run across this from time to time, is we have our Canadians are either uh, living here and working for a U.S. company, or are uh, you know working in the U.S. for a while and earning uh, and for a U.S. company and earning U.S. Uh, income, and like many companies, uh, you know we call it uh, our defined contribution pension plan or a defined benefit plan. Well, the, in the U.S., you have basically two plans. The first one is what they call a 401k, and that's kind of like our pension plans here. It would be similar to what we call a defined contribution pension plan, where you have to put a certain amount in, or they put they're putting money in on your behalf. And that's the kind of plan he was belonging, he belonged to down there. And the second type of plan that they have in the U.S. is what's called an IRA, an Individual Retirement Account. And that is basically like the individual RRSPs that we see here in Canada. So if you're trying to compare what, what are we talking about, that kind of gives you an idea. So the question would be, you know, what does he do with this plan once he, uh, once he retires? And basically, there's three options it comes down to with clients in this situation. They can leave the plan there in the U.S. and then take withdrawals once they're retired. Or they can, number two, is they can take a lump sum withdrawal right now. Or number three, they can do a withdrawal and then recontribute that to a Canadian RRSP. So I just want to quickly run through those three scenarios, and we've got an example and then just sort of summarize the, the pros and cons for each. So number one, which is leave the plan as is. And basically that 401k plan, it's tax deferred. It can continue to grow there, tax deferred, until he uh, retires and starts making withdrawals. He has to do that by age 72, so kind of like our RIFs, uh, age 71. And um, But when money starts coming out of that plan, there is U.S. withholding tax. And the U.S. gets their money first before you see your money. And so uh, if it's a lump sum coming out of the plan, uh, it would be 30% withheld at, at the US. If it's a periodic payment, which is basically like a RIF payment that people would get, or a pension payment, it's 15% withholding tax. And you to get that 15%, you do have to file what they call a WA beneficiary form, which is basically just a, 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 an IRS form telling declaring that you are uh, a non-resident and you're living here in Canada. So you get to claim a foreign tax credit for that tax, that U.S. tax that you've paid. And so whether it's the 30% or the 15%, so basically it gets applied to what you would owe here in Canada in terms of taxes. And this avoids double taxation. But you just have to make sure that you've got enough um, that that you can use up those Uh, foreign tax credits, that 30% withholding, that 15% holding in terms of filing your own return. Because if you can't get all of it back, then you're basically going to get double taxed on it. So so that's going to be one of the factors for sure. So option two is the lump sum. And so typically, you know, you're going to have 100% of that as tax, just like if you were cashing in um, an RSP here uh, or even a pension plan for that matter. But 100% tax the year you take it out that 30% withholding with tax, and, of course, you have to pay income tax on that here in Canada as well. So it, unless it's a small amount, that lump sum strategy, it was sort of off the table, and it certainly was in this case as well. And the third option, which is to withdraw the money from that 401k and then recontribute to an RRSP plan here in Canada. So uh, there's no sort of direct rollover provision. You can't just move it from their plan to our plan uh, you actually have to essentially cash it in and then recontribute it, but you uh, you are given a chance to put that into your RSP. You don't have to have RSP room, and you don't lose RSP room by rolling it in directly into an RSP here. Uh, but you have to file special forms to be able to do that. And um, so the basic the basic issue on that again is uh, can you with that U.S. tax tax is going to be payable. When you cash in that US plan, they withhold their 30%. Can you get all of that back? And so again, usually you have to be in a higher income earner to be in a higher marginal tax bracket to be able to then recover that tax. Because you may not owe 30% on it here in Canada, depending on how much it is. So what are the advantages to, uh, to leaving the plan or, or transferring the plan? Well, basically, the advantages of uh, transferring the plan is that it's going to simplify your retirement portfolio. You kind of get everything into one roof. U S financial institutions uh, probably can't provide you investment advice. So you're kind of stuck in terms of getting uh, ongoing support for that. Uh, I think when you consolidate things here in Canada, you get to sort of increase the size of your portfolio, which might drive down your costs, might give you access to more investment options. Um, It might create a currency hedge for your Canadian retirement if you bring that over in U.S. dollars, right? Keep it in U.S. dollars. You can take it out in U.S. dollars later on. Uh, And, of course, it may help avoid U.S. estate tax. Well, We can talk a little bit about that, too. Um, The disadvantage is that lump sum withdrawal, we know that results in U.S. tax. And that tax, you may not be able to get it back under that foreign tax credit. And another big disadvantage is an early withdrawal penalty, which may also apply, Uh, So, and that's not recoverable. So that we'll get into a little bit too. And then also in the year of withdrawal, the Canadian taxpayer may be subject to an OAS clawback or an alternative minimum tax because certain uh, credits or refunds aren't, aren't, um, aren't factored in. So there's sort of three steps to decide. We're going to talk about that when we come back after this segment. But three critical steps to consider. If you're going to seek, if you're seeking to transfer a U.S. pension plan here to Canada, number one was quickly we'll just determine if the U.S. retirement plan can be transferred to an RSP. determining if the U.S. tax paid, uh, how much it will be as a result of the withdrawal. And the third thing is going to be determine if that U.S. tax can be fully recovered and we'll talk about those three things when we come back.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you as soon as they can at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message they'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at Andyandon.com. we're talking about canadians with u.s retirement plans
3: yeah as i mentioned i just um was working with a client who works for a u.s company but lives here in canada and as they planned it, uh, their own retirement they're wondering what they do with their u.s uh, retirement plan and um So I mentioned there's two different types, the 401k, like our pension plans here, and then the IRA, which is like the RRSP here. And um, so if you have an IRA down in the U.S., we just want to talk about these three steps that you kind of go through to figure out if it makes sense to leave it or uh, bring it here. Uh, The IRA is kind of like what we would RRSP, right? You you put the money into that plan, not the company. And so in that case, uh, if you cash it in there, you can reallocate it to an RRSP here, and it generally doesn't use up your RRSP room here in Canada. Um, now the problem is you have to top it up with the holding tax. So let's say, for example, uh, you know you took out a hundred thousand dollars from the um, IRA, they would withhold thirty percent, so thirty grand. You're only going to get seventy. And so you'd have to come up with the other thirty grand out of your pocket for another investment just to make up that withholding tax so that you end up uh, square at the end of the tax year. So just a caveat there. Um, the 401k, now that's an interesting twist. So if you, um, if you worked in the U.S. and you earned the 401k benefits while you were in U.S., then generally it's the same as the RRA I just talked about. You can uh, roll it over here. Uh, it doesn't use up your RSP room and so uh, no issues there. But if you worked in Canada or lived in Canada and uh, like my client did, then you would need the RSP room to be able to recontribute it.? Okay? You need the RSP room to be able to recontribute it. And more often than not, a lot of times people here will be maximizing their RSP along the way so they probably don't have room to do this. Uh, so we're kind of leaning, I can tell you right now, that this it did not make sense for him to move his 401k. Uh, step two was how much tax is going to be paid on this withdrawal. And um, I was just talking to Don off air about this, but if you're 59 and a half, if you start taking money out of these plans in the U.S. before 59 and a half, and you're here in Canada, there's an extra 10% penalty. So on top of the 30%, now you've got another 10% chunk if you're under 59 and a half. Well, in the case of my client, he's not under 59 and a half. He's over over 60. Um, so he didn't that, that penalty didn't apply. Uh, so no, you work out the tax. And then finally, step three is can the tax be recovered? And if it's not fully recovered, this withholding tax, then uh, you're going to end up with double taxation. So if I was just to run a quick example on how this might look, we'll call Mr. Canuck. Mr. Canuck, he's just turned 60 and recently returned to Canada, uh, and after after many years while he was away, he is not a U.S. taxpayer. He is a high income earner here with employment income of about two hundred fifty thousand, and he had sixty grand in his 401k down in the U.S. The plan administrator indicated that they're going to apply thirty percent withholding tax. So he decides to transfer his 401k to a Canadian RRSP. So he receives a net check. Uh, from the US plan administrator for 42 so that's the uh, 60 grand minus the 18,000 he transfers another 18,000 of his personal money to his RSP. so for US tax purposes the withdrawal result in that uh, 18,000 of tax the amount withdrawn from the US plan is fully included in pension income for Canadian tax purposes however he gets a deduction is claimed the full amount of 60 grand that he has been transferred to the RSP. And so assuming that he lives in Ontario and he's in the highest tax bracket, he'll be able to recover all of the $18,000 of U.S. tax paid by claiming a foreign tax credit against his Canadian taxes payable. So for Mr. Canuck, the transfer does make sense. And so, um, again, typically for any foreign tax that cannot be recovered by claiming your credit here in Canada, it's essentially a waste uh, because you can't, you can't carry that forward or carry it back, those those additional uh, tax credits. So. Um, th- at the end of the day, you know, everybody involved in this type of scenario needs to talk to a cross border tax expert. And um, while, you know, Don and I are here, we have a good working knowledge of situations like this, and we also have access to our advanced financial planning and tax experts. And this is information that I got from one of our CPAs and uh, uh, Mariska Lep- Lepke here at our head office. But, you know, essentially, um, uh, it is something that needs to be double-checked with your cross-border tax professional before you make a decision on this. So we, um, our recommendation was that uh, he should be leaving the plan where it is and um, simply start taking a regular withdrawal at the time when he has to do it. By the time he's 72, he doesn't need it right now. But simply start taking a monthly withdrawal from his 401k plan in the U.S., It'll be paid to him in U.S. dollars. And so hopefully one day if he can return and go back and visit or travel to the U.S. <laughs> again, then he'll have, uh, he'll have U.S. dollars, which um, will help offset his travel plans in terms of currency hedging. And uh, so I think he's, um, uh, he, he's satisfied that we've sort of uncovered all the stones with respect to, uh, to that decision. So um, we do have uh, an article available that tells you, outlines the various options that you have available. Uh, so if, you're, if you need, if you're, need more information or you know of somebody who needs more information about their U.S. retirement plans, and Canadians, uh, send us a note or an email and we'll be sure to uh, send that article along to you. It's a good reference and uh, get the ball rolling in terms of discussion with your tax advisor.
1: You may not hear people till after they're finished their quarantine if they're going back and forth, but that's a completely different discussion. (laughs) Uh, We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, and Don Fox here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll get back to you very soon. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll so return your call at 905-529-7165. You know, Don, it's, uh, it's hard to believe because it seems it's Groundhog Day has been all year uh, this year, but it, it's RSP time. My goodness, it's hard to believe that's come around again, and we've got to be looking at that.
2: It is shocking, to be honest. I totally agree with you, Scott. It, we just kind of go from one month to the next, and we're into February now, which uh, I don't know what happened to January, but it disappeared pretty quick. So we are getting some calls about RSPs. And really, because tax free savings accounts came into existence, I'll well, say nine or 10 years ago, it's always a question, should you get an RSP now? Or should you get a TFSA? Where should you put those dollars? And the very first question we ask our clients is what tax bracket are you in? Now, we don't expect them to actually know the different brackets, but we kind of go through them with them. So if you're in a, a 20 if you make between 20,000 and 45,000, you're in a 20% bracket. And these are just general, I'm rounding it a little bit here, but between 48,000 and 79,000, you're in a 30% bracket. 97,000 to one hundred you're in a 43% tax bracket. 150,000 to 214,000, you're now in a 48% bracket. From 214 to 220, you're now in a 52% bracket, and that's Top tax bracket of fifty three point five three percent is for people that earn over two hundred and twenty thousand. So the reason I want to go through those is RSPs save you at the marginal tax bracket, the highest marginal tax bracket you're in. So if you made a hundred thousand dollars and you put three thousand into an RSP, that's between the ninety seven and one hundred fifty. So therefore it would bring your taxable income to ninety seven and it would save you 43%, that just that $3,000 deduction. Um, so therefore, the question is, Is do you think you're going to be in a higher tax bracket in the coming years? And if you think you're going to be in a higher bracket, so let's say you just started a new job and you're now making 60000 but you expect you'll be at 100000 plus in another five years. Well, you may want to save that RSP room. And by doing that, you're building up RSP room, and you can save it for your in higher bracket. So if you're making 60 now, you're in a 30 percent tax bracket. But if you're making, say, 110,000 later, you will be in a 43 percent bracket. So that's a 13 percent difference. So if you're going to invest10,000 say, dollars, that10,000 dollars would save you 1,300 more in income tax by waiting. Now you've got to remember, this is a tax deferral, so you do have to pay tax on the way out. And so what I often tell clients is it's all great saving the tax now, but we do have to pay the tax later. And so it's a tax deferral. So if you do feel you're going to be in a higher bracket later, I would recommend then using a tax-free savings account to then accumulate funds. And by doing so, you can accumulate those funds tax-free, and then down the road when you are in a higher bracket, you can then start using up that RSP room. So the next question is how much do you – how much should you contribute? And in that example, I said, okay, let's say you're making a hundred thousand, and you and you expect your income to keep going up, and you had ten thousand to invest. You may want to put three thousand into an RSP, and put the other seven thousand into a tax-free savings account, because that TFSA can be transferred to an RSP at any time, and then so now later on, you're now making one hundred ten thousand. You can then move that seven thousand from the tax-free savings account over to the RSP. So. When we're looking at accumulator clients, and both Andy and I have been in this business now for over 35 years, so we're now actually seeing a lot of kids of clients, and they're now going through the same things that their parents did when we first met them. And so now they've got kids of their own, and it's like, okay, what should I do? Should I buy an RSP or invest in an RSP, or should I get an RESP for the kids? And quite frankly, we say, why don't you do both? So the example here is: let's say you make you're making $107,000 a year. Well, if you put $10,000 into an RSP, you're going to get a $4,341 refund, and that $4,300 refund then can be applied to your RESP, the Registered Education Savings Plan, which then would attract some grant money, $868 of government grant money. And so, if you did that every year for eight years, you would literally max out the RESP. And what I mean by that is, you can once you put over thirty-six thousand dollars into an RESP, you've now maxed out the grant. The grant they're only going to give you. The government's only going to give you seventy-two hundred. So if you were to add more to the RESP, which you're allowed to do, but you're not going to get any more grant money from the government. So. If I were just to look at this, and let's say the, the child was seven years old and they got some ketchup, well, by the time the child's 15 years old, you would have maxed out the RESP, and now you actually can let it sit there for a few years waiting for the ch- um, child to go to post-secondary, college, university, what have you. Putting it in dollar perspective, by doing that, your 10000 into the RSP each year, only at 5%, would have grown to 125000 over 10 years, and their tax refund would have got, forty in total, $49,740. And then another two years of just sitting there waiting for the child to go to university would have grown to $55,000. So here you can have your cake and eat it too, add to the RSP, get the tax refund, apply that to the RESP, and put your kid through university and let the government, in, in a sense, pay for the university costs.
1: Uh, and as again, as a parent of two kids, one that's uh, already taken advantage of this, and one that will, in a few more years, this this is this is financial planning. It really is. it it I can't express enough how much this helps. Uh, That's it. That's all. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, You have been, uh, we rather, have been planning your financial future. (laughs) I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, Don Fox here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day.
2: Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Thanks Sandok. You're
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.